Well, you can turn your Bibles to the book of Genesis in chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. We just passed the New Year's, and for many people, we have these New Year's resolutions that we do. And I heard a story that was written about these, that sometimes uh, New Year's resolutions resemble carbon dating. You can kind of tell how long ago you first made the New Year's resolution by its half-life. Uh, one example would be, in 2003, a person wrote, I will read at least 10 books a year. In 2004, the same person wrote, I will read 5 books a year. In 2005, I will finish Portals of Prayer from 2006. In 2006, they wrote, I will read some articles in a newspaper this year. In 2007, I will read at least one article this year. And in 2008, I will try and finish the comic section this year. Another example, uh, one who had uh, some weight goals. In 2004, they wrote, I will follow my new diet religiously until I get below 200 pounds. In 2005, I will try to develop a realistic attitude about my weight. In 2006, I will work out five days a week. In 2007, I will work out three days a week. In 2008, I will try to drive past the gym at least once a week. Another person wrote, in 2002, I will not spend my money frivolously. In 2003, I will pay off my bank loan promptly. In 2004, I will pay off my bank loans properly, promptly. In 2005, I will begin making a strong effort to be out of debt by 2006. In 2006, I will be totally out of debt by 2007. In 2007, they wrote, I will try to pay off the debt interest by 2008. And in 2008, I will try to be out of the country by 2009. <laughs> well, sometimes we try some things and they just don't quite work. And in our series we're beginning here today, we want to go over in this series, giving God something to work with. There are very often times that we believe God for things that he's promised us in his word. And too often we are waiting for God to do something, but we're not giving God anything to work with. So we want to go through the word of God and look at how God uses what we give him, things that God had asked for. Things along those lines. What is our responsibility in this? Because how many of us have something that we're believing God for, believing to change, looking to increase, whatever it might be, but it hasn't quite come about. But we're praying about it. We're seeking God about it, but we're not necessarily doing anything about it because we don't know necessarily what we're supposed to do. In Deuteronomy 28, I'm just going to read this uh, couple of verses for you. Verse 12, the Lord will open to you his good treasure the heavens to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day to the right or to the left to go after other gods to serve them. We all like this part that it tells us that uh, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not be beneath if you heed the commandments of the Lord, which I command you today and careful to observe them. But he says in this that in verse uh, 12, that he would bless all the work of your hand. How many of you have works that you have done with your hand that have gone unblessed. If the word of God promises us that he will bless us, bless all of the works of our hands, but we have some work that is not blessed, has not increased, is there a deficiency? Is there a problem? Is there something we're not quite getting right? Because the word of God is very clear, and it says this quite a few times. We'll go over some of the other places where it, where it reads this, that he will bless all the works of our hand. But very often we are endeavoring to do things, our hands are involved in things, and we don't see the blessing of God. We are struggling with it. We are working hard to get through. But we're not seeing what we, what we want to see. So our, here's the question. Are we truly finding this blessing on what we put our hands to do? Do we really feel like we're the head? Or do we feel like we're the tail? Do we feel like we're above? Or do we feel like we're beneath? In Genesis chapter 4, 
Verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now nowhere in the word of God does the, does the Bible tell us that Cain is their firstborn. It's a very, it's a big misconception that we have of, of that, uh, that people always believe that Cain is the firstborn of Adam and Eve. It doesn't say that. Look at what it says. And she, uh, now Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Is there anything in that verse that says that was her firstborn? It seems like it's the firstborn son. But it's very possible that a daughter or two or three or however many were born before and she finally got a man one. But whatever it was, she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, all we know about Abel is that he was younger than Cain. We don't know if there were some daughters in between. Because the focus of the story is not all the other kids. focus of the story is Cain and Abel. So we're talking about their births. That's all. So don't ever get the idea that there were no other people born, that these folks, uh, you know, they're... In their, out there working the field, and it's the only two kids they had. Guarantee you, they had more than two kids. They had a lot of kids. I've heard uh, some people estimate that, um, uh, oh, I forget what the time frame was, but when Cain was uh, older and uh, his brother had a, had a wife, shortly after that they estimated, because of the age of, of everybody involved, there could have been as many as 500,000 people on the earth at that time, all coming from Adam and Eve. I don't know how they came to that, but uh, it does multiply quickly once you start, and especially since it didn't seem like too many people were dying. It does help the population grow a whole lot faster. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Has some time transpired? Yeah, but we're not told about anything that happened in that time. Because the focus of the story is Cain and Abel. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of this flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So what you have is Cain brought an offering of what he did, what he worked for, which was he was a person who tilled the ground. He grew things. And so he brought some of the things that he grew. This is what I work for. This is what I, I want to do. But that's not what God asked for. Now, God told Adam and Eve how to make a sacrifice because he did the first one. When they sinned, he performed a sacrifice of an animal. He made uh, skins for them to wear. <clears throat> but they uh, knew how to do it. And I'm sure that they passed it on to their kids how to do it. How else did his brother know how to bring the livestock and to slaughter it and to do all the different things? Well, Cain knew that as well. But Cain decided, I don't want to do that. I want to bring this. I'm still going to bring stuff to God. It's still going to cost me something. I'm still going to make a sacrifice, but it's what I want to do and not what God asked. And so Abel's sacrifice was accepted. It was blessed. And Cain's was not. Just because you put effort out, just because you do something, just because you sacrifice a thing, doesn't mean God is going to bless it. And that's something we have to understand. Again, we ran over Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy was conditional. It didn't just say whatever you do is going to be blessed. It gave us some conditions of it. We need to walk with God. We need to follow after Him. We need to obey His commandments. So, anyway, Cain was the first boy baby, but perhaps not the first child. So Cain uh, brought forth an offering to the Lord. And it, uh, we put, made this note. Every time we've gone over this, we make this note for you. This is the first religion. First religion in the Word of God. This is man coming to God the way man has decided to come to God. That's religion. God has told us how to come to God, and that's what we're supposed to do. But, of course, they didn't, they didn't do that. In Hebrews 11.4, By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. So there was faith involved with Abel's sacrifice, but not with Cain's. What was the difference? They both brought something. They both brought something that was a sacrifice. But Abel brought what God asked. He said, all right, you've asked for this. I'm going to do this, believing that I've received this. And Cain said, I'm not going to believe what you, that you, what you asked is what you want. I'm going to do something different. And so he did that. 
So Cain doubted God's way. And he did what a lot of folks did. He became angry. Have you ever become angry at God because something that you're doing is not showing the blessing that you think it ought to? I mean, sometimes we can just get ang- angry and mad at God. Turn over to your Bibles to Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter. In verse 1, At the end of every seven years you shall grant a release of debts. This is some of the laws that Israel was under. And every seven years, all the debts that were out there were erased. So uh, we'll just say, you know, you, you pick a year that it's, that it happens, and every, if you started out in the year zero, <laughs> then the year seven, 14, 21, so forth, those are the years that, it, it didn't mean if you made a loan in seven years it was wiped out. It meant every seven years it was locked in on the calendar what that year would be. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. So if you have a neighbor and they were having a hard time making their uh, payment on something and you went over and said, look, let me help you out. I've got some extra. And you gave them money. At the end of when that seven year came up, that was it was done, whether they paid it off or not. It was, it was over as long as it was a brother. Every seven years they would do this. But now he's going to give us some, some uh, conditions on this. Of the, for the lender, mostly. Of a foreigner, you may require it. In other words, if they are not a brethren, if they're not a person of Israel, if they have not come over to be part of Israel, well, you can get that from them from 14, 20, 25, don't matter. <laughs> go get them. <laughs> you, can, you can go ahead and require it of them. But you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother. So if he's a fellow Israelite, I imagine that this even worked for people who converted over and became uh, an Israelite. Uh, that would work for them as well. But if there was a foreigner in the land, uh, it wasn't the same thing. Except when they, there may be no poor, I'm sorry, I'm reading, of a foreigner may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother, except when there may be no poor among you. <laughs> so he says, all right, we'll, we'll do this every seven years, except when there becomes no more poor people. As soon as no, no one is poor anymore, well then this, you don't have to do this anymore. For the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance. Only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today. For the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. If there is among you a poor man or a brethren within any of the gates in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. So if you see someone who's in need, you need to be, and you have some supply, you need to go over there and try and help them out. Is what he's telling you to do. Get over there and do something. If he's a poor person, they're, they're having a hard time getting by. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his needs, whatever he needs. Beware, lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand and your eye be evil against your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry out to the Lord against you and it becomes sin among you. So he's saying this, if you are in year six and here comes a poor guy and he needs something and you have the ability to help them and you say, if I give you money, you're not going to pay it back to me in a year. I'm going to lose it. So I'm not going to do it. If you take into consideration the seventh year that is coming, then you, this brother is going to cry out against you and uh, God's going to hear it. And it's not going to go well. So he says, don't do that. Don't be, don't allow this thought to come in. Wait a minute. When is the seventh year coming up? When is the seventh year release coming up? Because I don't want to loan any money to someone that has to just release it. That thought would come in. How many of you could, could, could know this thought would come in? You'd be thinking, if you're the one who had the money, and this is the one who doesn't have the money, and you're thinking, all right, we only got one year, we only got two years until the year of release, are they going to be able to pay me back in that amount of time? He says, don't be thinking that. That's a wrong thought. You shall surely give it to him, and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him because of this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all which you put your hand to. So what he's saying is, lend it to him, and don't you go around sulking. Man, I lost that money. Uh, whatever it is, I loaned them a thousand. I know I'm not going to see it. 
year of release is coming up and it's going to be wiped out and I'm not going to get it. I'm not going to see a dime of that. And you can get angry. You can get bitter. He says, don't do it. Don't let that kind of thing come in. You will surely give to him and your heart should not be grieved when you give to him because of this thing. The Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all which you put your hand. The Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. What he is saying here is this. This is the law. Every seven years you're going to wipe out the debt. If you consider that when you make a loan in that you don't make the loan, you withhold helping somebody, or if you make the loan and you become grieved about it, what happens to the blessing that is on all that your hand is to do? It gets turned off. You can turn off the blessing. So what God is saying is this. I want you to be so confident that I am able to bless you above what you're able to give away that you don't even grieve about the thought that you might lose it. Because if you are grieving about it, you're focusing on your loss. You're not focusing on the blessing. See, it's it's a wrong mind frame. The enemy tries to get in and get you to focus on your loss. God wants you to come in and say, don't focus on the loss. I want you to focus on the blessing. I will bless everything you put your hand to. But you've got to keep this mentality. You've got to keep going this way. For the poor will never cease from the land. Didn't he say that this law operates until there's no poor? <laughs> what does he say here? The poor will never cease from the land. Why is that? Because God knows there will be people who will not obey his thought about money and will constantly be in poor. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor, to your needy in your land. So that's what you're supposed to do. So again, in the sixth year, if you see somebody who's in need, don't you hold up. Don't you think, well, I don't know if I can, can I really afford to lose this money? You're not supposed to consider that. You got somebody out there that you need to help? Go on out there and help them. Have faith in God and his plan and whatever you put your hand to will be blessed. This is the the principle that's here. Have faith in God and his plan and whatever you put your hand to will be blessed. If we take that and transfer it out today, if there are things in my life that I do not have faith in God and do not have faith in his plan, I am tying his hands from blessing the work of mine. We got to get out of that. It's a wrong mentality. That mentality is holding you back. It is stopping God. God would like to do a whole lot more, but that mentality will hold him back. So just putting your hand to something will not cause you to be blessed. Just putting your hand to something will not cause you to be blessed. That's why we put our hand to some things and we haven't seen the blessing of God. One reason, this is just one reason, our attitude isn't right. We are not thinking the way that we're supposed to be thinking about this. I'm thinking about what I lose. I'm thinking about what happens if God doesn't come through. I'm thinking about these, this year's coming up. If When this year comes up, I'm going to lose this. Don't be thinking about it. But there are other factors that have a profound effect on the blessing. If I am ignorant of the factors that affect God's blessing, the work of my hand, will that help? No. Just because I'm ignorant about it doesn't mean those things aren't working. I need to find out what they are and get in, get involved to stop it. You know, how many of you uh, are ignorant about some things going on in your computer? But your ignorance of it doesn't stop that computer from being affected by those things. It's still affected. I'm just ignorant of it. I don't know how to, how to make it stop doing that or start doing that or whatever it might be. Just because you're ignorant of a thing doesn't cause that computer to not be as blessed. You would say, you'd say well, if I'm not ignorant, I can get in there and take it apart and do some stuff unless you have an apple. <clears throat> then you're on your own. You've got to take it back to the people. They made it. They, they, they had to fix that one. <laughs> but the other computers you can usually get in there and, and do some things with. So your ignorance won't spare you from the effects of that. Why don't you go over to another verse of Scripture. This is one you're familiar with. In Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. We're not going to read the whole story. 
We're going to read parts of this. You can go back and read more of it. We're actually going to jump in here in the middle of it. How many of you remember the story where the 12 spies were sent out to the land? They walked around there for 40 days, and they came on back, and they gave a report. We're going to pick up the report. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation and the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report to the land, or of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. So we were in their sight. Numbers 14, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried and the people wept that night and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation said to them, just understand this, if every time you see somebody in the word of God complain, their heart is not right. You go through the word of God and you find anybody who's complaining and you, will, you look at the story and you'll find out their heart isn't right. Just a note. How many times have we complained this week? You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody complained at all this week? What's that mean? Well, if you take the scripture, literally, <laughs> people who complained had something wrong in their heart. Got to be careful of that. So they said, if only we had died in the land of Egypt. Well, they didn't necessarily want to die in them when they were in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in this wilderness. They kept complaining when they were in the wilderness. They didn't want to die in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Now, they say their concern is for the wives and children, but really their concern is for themselves. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? All right, let's put this in another way. Why has the Lord brought me to this job that is not paying me enough money? <laughs> right? I mean, you have a job that's not paying you enough money for what you need. Yep, yep, we can, we can see that. Why has the Lord brought me into this business, but I'm not getting enough customers? Why has the Lord brought me into this opportunity, but it's working for everybody else and not for me? Have we said anything like that? Have we been in those places? I know I have. I've had some jobs. Said, Dear Lord, I'm not making enough money here. We can certainly think that way. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes. They spoke to all the children of, Israel, the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. It is amazing how some people can walk into an opportunity and see an exceedingly good opportunity, and other people walk into the same opportunity and see a problem. <laughs> Have you worked with people like that? Have you been around people like that? Let's make sure that we're not those kind of people. But it's real easy to walk into a situation and see a problem, whereas other people can walk into it and see an opportunity. I'm told about Walt Disney. He walked down in some barren land down there in Florida. Swamp lands almost. And he saw opportunity. He saw an opportunity. And in fact, I heard one person, he took down there to him and he showed him all this swamp land and he says, whatever money you have, 
buy property here because it's going to become really valuable. And he looked around and he said, why would you think it's going to become valuable? Trust me, it's going to become really valuable. And I think the man didn't listen to him and didn't invest and he was very sorry. But Walt Disney saw something. He saw he could make something. And he began to make it and he, he, he put it together and I'm told that he died before the whole thing was finished. And his wife was sitting at a board meeting and uh, it was said, uh, it was, it's just too bad that Walt Disney couldn't see this all finished. And she stood up and said, oh, he did. <laughs> he did. Because he could see it. He, he could envision it. He could walk into a place where people just... How many people walked through that area of Florida and just saw swampland? Worthless property. Nothing good. But what is, he walked in and he saw an opportunity. We're going to build this and people are going to want to come. Or we're going to have hotels and people are going to build hotels and they're going to build restaurants and people are going to be going to work. And it's going to be... And he, he saw all this sort of kind of stuff going on. He saw an opportunity. But not everybody sees the same opportunity. Some people see a problem. Yeah, but that's going to cost me some money and I'll have to sit on it for a little while and I don't know if I want to do that. And let's select a leader and return to Egypt. Oh, it's so easy to go back to what you did before. It's so easy to go and do the same thing over and over and over again. It's harder to do something that's different. We've never taken a land before, they could say. We've never gone after a military campaign, looked to knock down cities. and We haven't done that. Yeah, but God has this for you. Hmm. If the Lord, verse 8, if the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. What a way to look at this thing. What a way. Their protection is gone. The Lord is with me. The Lord is with us. We can go and we can take this. These aren't, these aren't a problem. They saw it so much different. Do not fear them, he says twice. And all the congregations said to stone them with stones. What do they want to do? Silence the opposition. <laughs> you can't argue with their facts. They never try and argue with the facts, do they? No, silence the opposition. That's what we got to do. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in a tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Now that'll stop you from stoning somebody. It'll get your attention. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me and how long will they not believe me with all the signs which I have performed among them? God saw what they were doing as them rejecting Him. We've got to make sure that what we do does not come across to God as us rejecting Him. How long will they not believe me? Then the Lord said, I have pardoned. Well, Moses, we pick on verse 20. Moses went through his intercession and uh, told God why he shouldn't do this and wipe them out. Because God was ready to look, Moses, stand aside, I'll make of you a great nation. And Moses says, hold on, hold on. You know, don't do this. And so after all the intercession, he picks up in verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all these men who have seen my glory... And the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have put me to the test now these ten times and have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who reject me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring in the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit, inherit it. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation who complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so, will, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness, all of you who were numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. 
You shall by no means enter land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness for forty years, and bear the brunt of your infidelity, until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, forty days for each day which you bear your guilt one year, namely forty years, and you shall know my rejection. I, the Lord, have spoken this. I will surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me in this wilderness. They shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. Then Moses told these words to all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. <clears throat> Down to verse 40. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain, saying, Here we are, and we will go up to the place where the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. So they said, Well, we messed up. And we should have gone on in. And uh, we, we were, you know, yesterday we were not so much on, si on the board, but today we fixed it and we're better and we're ready to go in. We don't, what they're saying is we don't want to go back into the wilderness. We will go ahead and we will take the land. Here we are and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised for we have sinned. So they are about to set their hand to something, aren't they? And Moses said, now, why do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? For this will not succeed. He's telling them ahead of time. You're going to put your hand to do something and it will not succeed. Why? Because they didn't obey. He says, Do not go up, lest you be defeated by your enemies. For the Lord is not among you. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. Are they still His people? But He will not be with them in this fight. I'm, I'm not going that direction anymore. We are now going in the direction of the wilderness. If you go that way, you're on your own. I was for you to go that way, but not now. That's what He's saying. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword because... You have turned away from the Lord, and the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. They presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Too often Christians are doing things in the area of presumption. Uh, well, if I put my hand to it, surely God will help me. And we've started businesses, we've taken jobs, we've taken endeavors, put in some investments, we've done some things just thinking, well, because... I put my hand to it, God will bless me. But where's the obedience factor? But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the ark of the covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. So Moses is saying, you all, if you're going to go, you're going to go without me and you're going to go without the ark. That's, we're staying right back here because this is where God is. And the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. I'm sure that they killed some too. And so some of the ones that had to die got that part of it done. Because uh, all the ones that were older, they were going to die. God said, it's going to take 40 years for me to finish it off. But 40 years is how much time you're going to be wandering around, around the wilderness. Well, they believed the bad report and the people rebelled. And God rejected them. Moses interceded. And the people changed their minds and they decided to take the land. So in this story, we're going to find out some things that do not matter as far as the hand of God being with you, as far as the presence of God being with you. There are some things that these are non-factors. So what doesn't matter? What, we, what do we learn from the story that doesn't matter? First off, boldness does not matter. Boldness in fleeing instead of pursuing. God wants you to be bold in pursuing what he has said Steve, I want you to do this. I want you to pursue this. He wants us to be bold, 
to pursue what he has given us. He wanted them to be bold the day before to pursue taking the land. But they didn't want to do that. And so God said, all right, we're not going there. We're going to the wilderness. Now they're not being bold to go take the wilderness. They are fleeing the direction that God said to go. And we will go in the direction here. There is a boldness that people have when they flee as well as a boldness that they have when they pursue. When you are leaving something, when you are running from something, that is not the boldness of God. Sometimes people have gone off and we have taken a business, we've started a business simply because I don't want to work for somebody. Anybody ever said that? I don't want to work for anybody. I'm not going to work for anybody. And we're not pursuing, we're fleeing. Can you see the difference? We're not supposed to be fleeing, we're supposed to be pursuing. God may have some things for you to learn as you work for someone else to get you ready for when you are working on your own. How many of y'all know, some of you folks have businesses on your own? You know, being in business yourself, that takes a little bit more drive and determination than working for somebody. When you work for somebody, you show up at whatever time, and you depart at whatever time, and you do the work that they say to do in, in the meantime. But when you take on your own business, it's, there's, there's not necessarily a set time to start and a set time to quit. You just do the work until it's done. Sometimes you can kind of be kind of laid back about it and not really doing all the things that you should be doing in that. And therefore, it's not necessarily coming about the way you want. And you needed to stay with somebody a little bit longer. Maybe you needed to work for somebody to learn that business, figure out how to, how to run that business. How to do those things. Whatever it might be, sometimes we have been bold in fleeing instead of being bold in pursuing. God wants you to be bold in pursuing the thing. He's going to say, Steve, I got this for you. Now go get it. All right? And we got to be bold in pursuing that. But then sometimes we're just, well, I don't want to do that anymore, so I'm going to leave that one. And that's not, that's not good. That's not what we are called to do. It, it, pursuing is harder. Fleeing is easier. Because when do you pursue something? There's all kinds of times you can go and pursue something. But when do you flee something? When it's coming about, coming, it's coming up on you. It's real easy to know when to flee something. It's a little harder to know when to pursue something. But there's supposed to be a boldness in that. I know that one of the churches I worked in early on, God was doing with me saying, Steve, it's time to go. And... If I would have left then, I would have been pursuing what God would have had me to pursue. Instead, I talked with a couple of people and people kind of talked me out of it. That's probably not God. You're just getting discouraged because of this or that, the other thing. And so I stayed. And I stayed longer until I got to the point where I was fleeing. Because it didn't, it didn't go so well. And things were, I understood why I was supposed to get out. But you see, when we are bold, in fleeing is different than being bold in pursuing. When God has given you that thing, you need, to, you need to go after it. You need to pursue it. Joseph had a dream, and he was pursuing that dream. But it wasn't real clear as to what the timing was or how he was going to step into that. And so he had to, had to, had to wait on some things. But whenever he saw a glimpse and an opportunity, he did pursue it. He did go after it. So don't be bold and flee. Sometimes you just got to go before God and say, God, am I fleeing? Am I pursuing? Am I running from something? Or am I going after something? And don't let people around you figure that out. And don't let condemnation get, try and figure that out. You figure it out. Some people around you might be thinking you're fleeing something, but you say, no, no, I'm pursuing. I'm going after this thing. This is what God gave me to go after. Well, go after it. So that's the first thing. It doesn't matter. They were bold, but they were fleeing the wilderness. And that did not produce faith. That did not produce anything. They were fearful, first off, to go into the promised land. And then they became fearful of going into the wilderness. Because what did God say was going to happen in the wilderness? You're all going to die. They didn't like that. So that's the first one. Second one. Obedience does not matter when it is born of fear. You know, sometimes we can obey for fear. How many have ever obeyed? Because, you know, you're at work and if you don't do this, you will be fired. All right, so you obey. How many have been in those kinds of situations? <laughs> you either do this or you will be fired. 
Well, you're obeying, not because you think it's a good idea, not because you want to. You're obeying because you're going to get fired. There's, they're instilling a fear. That's not necessarily a good boss who instills obedience out of fear. You all know bosses out there that instill one obedience out of fear? I mean, you would have obeyed, pursuing the thing, but instead they tried to drum up fear on you. That's just a... Uh, now, you can just you know shed the fear and go after the thing the right way. But o- obedience born of fear. Their obedience right now is born of fear. Their disobedience before was born of fear. They were afraid of the inhabitants. And now they're afraid of going into the wilderness. And so they're going, all right, we'll do this. <laughs> you ever have that with little kids? You know, um, you want them to do certain things and, uh, and they don't want to do it and they're not going to do it. And then all of a sudden you put your foot down. And now they're in fear. Oh, I'll do it now. Uh-huh. <laughs> Obedience born of fear. It does not matter to God. Obedience born of necessity. It does not matter to God. Well, I have no real choice here. It's the only way I can go, so I guess I will go ahead and obey. God, look, I'm obeying. You know, if you have a, a spending problem and you're overspending your 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 income. You may be, you know, God may be dealing with you on it. And God says, look, I need you to obey on this. Don't do this. Don't go out to the stores. Don't go out to do this. Don't spend the money. And you don't listen, you don't listen, you don't listen. But then your credit card is maxed out. And they don't give you an extension on it. And so now you go to God and say, well, all right, God, I'm not going to do that anymore. What's God say? <laughs> it's because you can't. <laughs> it's not because you decided. It's because it's uh, you're going to obey out of Necessity. I have no choice. That does not have any weight with God. Obedience born of fear or born of necessity. Or obedience born of obligation. Well, I don't want to do it, but I feel obligated to this person. So I'll go ahead and do it. But I don't want to. All right, well, they did something nice for me before, so I'll go ahead and do something nice for them. I don't really want to. But I'll go ahead... Go ahead and do it. Obedience born of obligation. That's not going to get anything for, for God. And here in this story, we also see this. Obedience born of remorse. Oh, we really made God mad. The glory came down. Moses had to intercede. He was going to wipe us out. We made God really mad. I am really remorseful about that. I think I'm going to go ahead and obey. That does not count with God. If you want obedience to have a hand on your work being blessed by God, you got to get obedience born of fear, obedience born of necessity, obedience born of obligation or remorse. You got to get that out of your life. I'm not going to be obedient to these things. I'm going to be obedient because God's called me to it. I am in pursuit of what God has called me to and the blessings of God are all my life. Here's the third one that we learned from this story. Effort apart from faith. If you have effort apart from faith, it will do you no good. You can put all the effort you want into it. When they went down, they fought these, uh, these folks. Did they put effort into it? You don't go into war without putting effort into it. They fought hard, but they lost. They put a whole lot of effort into it. Just because we put effort into it doesn't mean it's going to be good. How many of you ever made a meal and you put a whole lot of work, a whole lot of effort into it, a whole lot of thought into it, and it turned out horrible? Oh, it was terrible. You didn't even want to eat it. Effort. You can look at all the effort you put into it, but hey, it didn't work. It did not come out right. Effort, apart from faith, it doesn't impress God. It doesn't do anything for for Him. Boldness in fleeing instead of pursuing. Obedience born of fear, necessity, obligation, or remorse. Or effort, apart from faith. There was a story that Tony Evans read or told uh, about uh, an elevator experience that he had. It was in a high-rise building. And... uh, uh, he said in his story, anyway, he said he was never real, really particularly comfortable 
in elevators. But he was in this elevator and was going up and, well, something happened to the elevator and the elevator got stuck. And there's other people on the elevator and you can probably imagine, you know, you have a wide range of people. You have some people who love elevators. You have some people who like closed spaces. You have some people who like being suspended in the air. And you have some people who don't like being suspended in the air, who don't like being in enclosed spaces and don't like being in one they can't get out of. And so you have a group of people like that. Well, the ones who don't like to be in enclosed spaces or suspended in the air, such they, there's a certain amount of panic that would come upon them. And in this elevator, there are a certain amount of people who came into a place of panic and they began to bang on the doors and to cry out with a loud voice and to try and use their fingers to open the door and, and so forth. And they're just making all kinds of racket and stuff like that. And no one's hearing them. And so Tony's in the back of the... Uh, elevator, and he just, uh, after listening to him for a while, he just, because he didn't like being in there either, he just casually walks up to the to the door, and he picks up the phone, and someone on the other end of the phone, and he tells him, we're in this elevator, it's not working, and, and help us in. Now, it didn't matter how loudly he was speaking, they could have heard him if he whispered, but they didn't hear the other people. See, effort doesn't help you out. You can work hard. You can do all the things. It doesn't help you out. Doing it right, that's what helps you out. We've got to make sure that we, we do it right. Put here in your, the end of this, don't give God what you can. Give Him what He asks. God's going to ask some things from you. He's going to ask some certain things from you as far as obedience is concerned. He's going to ask you to do some things. And God will... Bless what it is that he tells you to do. If you're looking for a job, we're, you're going to do the normal things. You're going to pull out the newspaper. You're going to talk to people. You're going to send out resumes. You're going to fill out online things. And you're going to do the things that are necessary to try and get your name out there. But, And that's fine to do that. But then also sit back and listen. Because God is going to tell you some things. He may tell you to go certain places. Go over to this place. Just go in there and have a cup of coffee. We told you that story with you a long time ago about that person who was looking for a job and looking for a job and they didn't really have a whole lot of money, but God told him, go in there and buy a cup of coffee. So he went in there and bought a cup of coffee. Some, somebody hadn't seen in a long time. Hey, how you doing? And uh, he happened to have a job opening. The job opening was better than the job he lost. But you got to hear those things. And when God speaks to you saying, go here, and someone comes in and they have a job opening, uh, Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. And you go ahead and you take it. Absolutely. You, you, you listen to your spirit. You hear what, what God wants to do. Because God will lead you in these things. Don't just give Him what you can. You may sit there and say, Well, God, I have done everything I can do. I have called. I have applied. I have, I have done all these different things. I don't know what else to do. Don't bother with all that. Just give Him what He asks to do. What is he asking you to do? Listen to him. Because he will bless it. He will bless it well. God's plan is often difficult, challenging, and faith-stretching. That's God's plan. You'll find it very often. It is difficult, it is challenging, and it's faith-stretching. Just because you take on an endeavor and you are running into difficulty, challenges, or situations that stretch your faith doesn't mean you miss God. Doesn't mean you necessarily hit it either. Because you can have difficulties, challenges, and faith-stretching opportunities when you miss God too. But just because you followed after God doesn't mean that everything's just going to fall into place. But the Word of God says that He will bless your what you put your hand to. So give Him the opportunity to do that. God's plan is often difficult, challenging, and faith-stretching. Go through the Word of God and look at all the people who followed God's plan. <clears throat> was it difficult for Joseph? Was it difficult for Daniel? Was it challenging? Were there times when their faith was stretched? Yeah. But it's also one which he can bless. You're in the plan that he can bless. We want to spend some time and go through the Word of God and look at situations where people took things on. And for some of those people, we saw the blessings of God on them. For some of them, we did not see the blessings of God. What are the differences? What are the factors that matter to God? What are the things that make a difference? 
What is it that he looks for? What are the things that he doesn't? We gave you a few of them here out of this story. There's some big ones. But there are some factors that don't move God. But there are some that, that do. Now, just know this. God is very patient with us. When Israel was going through the wilderness and they were not lining up, was, did God just slap them upside the head? No, he was working with them. He was trying to get them ready for when they were at the place and they had to make that, that leap that they would be ready for it. But they didn't listen to all the things he was leading them to before, and so they weren't ready. But God wants you to be ready. What are the things that God is going to be asking for? How many have ever heard those uh, people on TV, they come on? God is asking you to give $1,000 right now. If you will give $1,000 right now, God will take that and he will work with it. He will bless it. And, you know, people have done so and uh, nothing, else, nothing ever happened to it. And they, they're gullible. They fell into it because we're not real sure. What is it that God could be asking me for? So we want to help you to identify when God is asking you to do something. Because there are many times in the Word of God where God says, all right, if you do this, I can bless it. And so we're going to look at many of these stories. The stories in the Bible that go over this are just so many. I don't know that we're going to go through them all, but we're going to go through a lot of them and help you to find out. Because we want the efforts that we put out to be blessed. We want the things that we put our hand to to be successful. And when they're not being successful, all right, somehow we're missing this. We're not getting the, the right thing going on. And so we want to try and get that fixed up for us. So that's what we're going to endeavor to do here in this series as we take it on for as many weeks as it takes us to to get through as some questions come up and some situations that you're running into. Get them over to me. Let me know what uh, kind of things you're facing. Make sure that we get to spend some time on that. Because it's, uh, you know, if we ask God things, He tells us some stuff. A lot of times we just don't ask the question. So if you're facing something in particular, you haven't got an answer on that, let me know what it is. I'll go ask God. Say, God, where is this in Scripture? That's what I always like Him to do. Father, where is this in Scripture? Where is it somebody that went through this in the Bible? And I'll tell you, He'll show us more stuff. More things to help us out with that. Would y'all stand up with me? Father, we want the things that our hand sets out to do to be blessed as your word promises us that it will be. We want to hear you. We want to listen to you. We want to conform to your ways. You're not going to conform to ours. We want to see what things are important and what things are not. Because too often we have put importance on things that you don't. And then we get angry like Cain did when what we've done is not blessed. Father, you're here to help us out. You're here to open our eyes. That the jobs that we are involved with are blessed. That the businesses that we step out in are blessed. That you bless the work of our hand. And we thank you for that. We thank you that we can have all the confidence in the world to say, Father, thank you for blessing what I'm putting my hand to because I know I have done what's important to you. We thank you for the help that you give us in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we go on to our covered dish, we have communion Sunday today.